welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. Turn with me in your Bibles to a scripture that will get us started today in Proverbs chapter 29. And I was, as a pastor, somebody asked me, how long do you prepare for a sermon? And I say a lifetime. (laughs) Every day of my life, I'm taking in information around me and taking in information from the Lord and kind of analyzing and putting my pulse on the state of the church, seeing what do people need? What are they struggling with? And a lot of times, you know, you, you, just, you just see so many people going through so much stuff. It's like, Lord, what can I say, man? I've got to help this person, this person, that person, this person. They're all in different levels of life. They're all experiencing different problems. What do I do? And the Lord said, look to me and I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. Plus, the Lord said he'll speak to your heart during a service like this beyond what you hear audibly from your preacher. So be open to not hearing from man. Be open to hearing from the Lord because he knows exactly where you're at and what you're going through and he knows what's ahead. And he wants you totally strong and equipped and prepared. Before I read this scripture, I just want to say this. I found this out recently that there was a study done recently of people who were dying with certain diseases and addictions and habits and problems And um, doctors and other professionals had given these people the answer. If they would stop this, if they would make this adjustment, they would live and they would not be cut short in life. And I was listening to the study. It said 89% said if, if they don't change their behavioral issues, that they would die. 89% of the people choose to die rather than change. This is a study. 89% of the people that see a way out through lifestyle change, through diet, through whatever, 89% of the people choose to die instead of changing. And I I thought of that, you know, as a pastor, I've seen this in, in the ministry. There's people today that they would rather die young than forgive somebody that hurt them. And sometimes they do because unforgiveness is a terrible weight on your life. It's actually, you need to forgive other people for your sakes more than their sakes. Because it's like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is terrible stuff. And a lot of people, you know, they hold on to bitterness. And they know if I would just let go of this bitterness, I wouldn't die young. But they hold on to their bitterness and a lot of them die young. Why? And then there's people that they just... They just can't admit that they've ever been wrong. You know, just, I'm, I'm not wrong. I don't know if it's a pride issue or whatever. They hold on to just say, I'll never say I'm sorry. I'll never say I'm sorry. And this eats on people. It eats like a cancer. And people die young because of these problems. Even, even UCLA studies have shown that if you just hold on to bitterness, it leads to bad things in the physical body. The Bible says envy rots the bones. The Bible talks about strife hurting you. Physically, And I want to talk to you about something today because I know a lot of people are going through stuff and I know a lot of people have like a no hope scenario in their life. There's a lot of people right now that have hit a brick wall. You see no way out. You see no solution to your problem. Doctor said it's terminal, right? The abuse has already happened or you've been the abuser. The marriage has already been blown up. Adultery has already taken place. 
terminal doctor's report, birth defects, um, severe depression, tragic loss financially. These are all things called the crisis of life. And when these things happen to people, a lot of people don't know what to do. And I guess if one reason I could say Faith Eyes Church is here, we want you to know what to do when all hell breaks loose and it looks like there's no way out. We have testimonies in our own life, people in the church, when it looked like there was no way, God made a way. I mean, he's good at making a way when it looks like there's no way, right? Parting the Red Sea. Who who would have thought of that? (laughs) Children of Israel out there in the desert, the Red Sea's over here, Pharaoh's back here, they're going to die one way or the other. And the sea opens up and they walk across on dry land. That's amazing. And somebody said, well, the river wasn't that high in those days. It was only two inches of water. It wasn't that big a deal. Well, then it's even a greater miracle because Pharaoh and all his chariots died in two inches of water. (laughs) Pursuing them, trying to find them. (laughs) That's even a greater miracle, right? (laughs) But God's got a way out. He is. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. So. I just want to say some things, and those of you watching online, because I know some people are tuning in, we've got friends that are tuning in, we've got family that are tuning in, we've got enemies that are tuning in to just see what we're doing. You just want to, you're hoping that we fail and crash. Well, we're not going to. Um, but, but we have a word for you too, because we love you. We care for you. We love you. And, and, I, and I hope, you know, we're not the biggest thing in your life. We hope Jesus is, you know, we, we really hope that. But there's something that I've learned over the years. We preach divine healing all the time in the church. We preach healing is for everybody because Jesus bore everybody's sicknesses and carried everybody's diseases. Not everybody's for healing, but healing is for everybody. And if it's not showing up in our lives, it's not because the Lord didn't provide it. It's because we're not receiving it for one reason or another. But healing is for everybody. Any person on this planet can be healed because Jesus died, shed his blood, was whipped and striped for everybody. Healing is in redemption. It's not a side issue with the Lord. Healing is a part and parcel of the gospel. Healing, physical healing. God wants everybody healed. I didn't say everybody believes in healing. I didn't say everybody is receiving healing, but he wants everybody healed. But just because he wants it doesn't mean you automatically enjoy it. You got to believe for it. You got to say yes to it. You got to rebuke disease when it tries to tell you this is from God. You got to believe God. Hang on to scriptures. Fight the good fight of faith. Rebuke the things Jesus rebuked. Claim the things that he said are yours. Got to be active in this. And so in studying and in preaching healing school for over eight years and teaching healing in this church for like 34 years, I have realized, though, there is something there is no remedy for. There is something that you... You just, you, you won't get healed if this certain thing is a part of your life. Do you want to see what it is? Yeah. Turn to Proverbs 29. And if you don't have a Bible, the ushers just asked if you, if you, next to somebody who does, look at this. Or if you've got a Bible on your app, on your phone or whatever, look at Proverbs 29 and verse 1. 29, 1. Now this is the wisdom of God through Solomon. So we could say this is God talking to us. He or she who is often reproved or rebuked or corrected, he that's constantly corrected and hardens his neck or is stubborn and won't change, this person will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. 
So what is there no remedy for? A person who refuses to change. A person who refuses to change. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I'm in the change me mode, Lord, not just more teachings in my file cabinet. When you read the Bible and you see clearly what it says and you understand what it says and you refuse to do what it says, that's dangerous. Because all God's trying to do is give you the answers to the problems of life, to help you avoid the tragedies of life, to come out of the crisis of life. But if we look at a scripture and say, well, I see that's in the Bible, but I'm not going to do it. What are you doing? Well, you're forsaking your own mercy and you're taking a path that God doesn't want you to go down, but because you have free will, you can go, you can go to hell if you want. I mean, no, people can go to hell if they want and God won't stop you. He'll do everything in his power to persuade you to come up above the lies of the devil and to come up above all these crazy thoughts about, you know, God and life that aren't true. He'll try to get you off, but he won't make you. See, one of the things the Bible says we're made in his image and likeness. And one of the things about us that's like God is we have free will. We can choose to love. We can choose to hate. We can choose to go his way. We can choose to go another way out from under his protection. That's up to us. And then people go, I don't know why God, I don't know why he sent this. You were on the wrong road. It had nothing to do with God sending you. He gave you a free will. Grow up and use it right. Amen. <laughs> right? You, you can make decisions that will destroy your life and it won't be God's fault or will and he didn't want it to happen. You got power. You need to learn how to use it. Okay. So, um, if you would, one translation, this is the... Uh, complete English Bible. Let me tell you what Proverbs 29, 1 says. It says, God said, one who stays stubborn after many corrections will be suddenly broken beyond healing. So what, what, what should this teach us? To be teachable, correctable. If you really want to grow spiritually, at times you're going to have to say, I blew it. I was, I was, can somebody help me say it? I was wrong. You guys want to go a step further spiritually? If you really want to advance spiritually and not be destroyed and not be one of these who have no remedy, at times you're going to have to say this. You ready? I have sinned. If you can't say that, you can't receive mercy. And mercy changes everything. The Bible says his mercy reaches to the lowest hell. <laughs> That's powerful. Mercy produces miracles in relationships, in, in the area of healing, in deliverance. Mercy changes everything. You get let me put it this way. You don't get what you deserve when mercy comes on the scene. How many are glad you're not getting what you deserve? Amen. Somebody says, I deserve better than this. You really want to talk about what you deserve? Let's talk about what we all deserve, right? Mental breakdown, insanity, premature death, pain and torture forever. How about we not? Well, I just deserve it. I de Let's don't talk about what you deserve. Let's talk about mercy. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about the love of God. Amen. 
kind of watch out but saying, well, I deserve better than this. If you really got what you deserved, you would have been a puff of smoke a long time ago. Pile of ashes, blowing in the wind. Let's talk about mercy. Let's talk about grace. Everybody needs it. Mercy will save your life. Restore your broken, messed up life. Mercy is amazing. Now turn to Proverbs 29. So let's be a part of the percentage that decide to change. 89% of the people, 89% of the people don't change and die young when they could have changed and lived longer. So I asked myself the question, why do some people not want to change? Why do some people not want to live? We were watching a program a couple nights ago and this lady came up to this guy and this guy's just constantly smoking cigarettes in this show and he's just constantly smoking cigarettes and the lady comes up to this guy and says, you know those things will kill you, don't you? He goes, I know. It's like you want to slap him. <laughs> then why are you doing it? <laughs> you, what, 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 do you like life or not? I mean, I, mean, I don't like life. Well, then something's going on that we need to expose and get out because life is supposed to be amazing. You're supposed to be so excited that everybody wants to go where you go and believe what you believe. Life is supposed to be full of power and life and zest. We should be just be glowing because of being a Christian and being a believer. Huh? You know, let me tell you one of the number one reasons why a lot of people are depressed. Because they're only thinking about them. What if you thought about the people in your sphere of influence right now that are not going to heaven unless you help them? Understand Jesus, understand the Bible, understand the gospel. You know, even just being healed yourself and even just feeling better yourself, that's not a high enough motive to receive the help you need at times. You need to have a higher motive than just you feeling better. But when you start realizing you're here for a divine, eternal reason connected to helping other people, you start going, oh yeah, I want to live. Oh yeah, I'm going to live a long time. Oh yeah, and I'm going to live in health and I'm going to have some prosperity and I'm going to be strong because i got an eternal vision, mission. It's hard to be depressed when you realize other people need you. You don't have time for it. (laughs) How come Jesus was never sick and never depressed? He didn't have time for it. He was on a mission from the Father. Sometimes we need to stir up the reason we're here and a lot of these other things will just work out. So in Proverbs 29, same, same chapter that we read that first verse, and look at verse 18. Where there's no vision or revelation from the Lord, people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, he's not talking about government law here, although that's a part of it. He's talking about keeping God's word. Anybody interested in happiness? Then you should be very interested in God's word. (laughs) Because it says you'll be happy if you keep his word. How much money today is spent on medicine to make people happy or to keep people out of depression? Probably trillions, I'm guessing. The pharmaceutical industry is is one of the most wealthy industries on, on the planet. What if there was a way to be happy without pills? Anybody interested in that? Now take the pills if you need them, please, for your spouse's sake at least. (laughs) 
and the people you're around, take the pills if you need them. But don't just take them because they're available. Take them because you need them. And as you start doing these things, you start realizing maybe I can wean off of some of this someday and get my happiness from doing what the Lord tells me to do instead of just popping another pill and doing what I want to do. We wrote a little track out there in the entryway on the Hope Note stand called Peace Without Pills. The Bible talks about a way you can live in perfect peace and not even needing pills. Don't just throw away your pills. Grow in faith. Learn these things. The Holy Spirit will tell you when you don't need that stuff anymore. But there is a way to live in perfect peace without all this synthetic medicine going into your bloodstream. And a lot of people don't know it, but it's true and it's there. I know personal experience. I've been without peace. I've been under the cloud. I've been in the depression. I know what I'm talking about. It was hell. Awful fear, anxiety. Just terrible. But I got delivered. The Lord showed me how to wean off all the world's way and trust in Him. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So, here it says, Without, where there's no vision, people perish. So why don't people want to take the route of change and live? Well, you first need a reason to change that's stronger than your reason for not changing. <laughs> your reason for change has to be stronger than your reason for not changing. People who have no vision from God are only existing. They're not living. And no wonder they don't care if they die young. No wonder they don't care if they check out early. No wonder some of them want to check out early. You have no vision? The Bible says you perish. People need help in this area. People need to realize why they're here. Amen? Man, if we could just get Christians to see this, there'd be no more depression in the church. Now look with me at another scripture. Go to Psalm 18. Psalm chapter 18. You're going to experience things in life. They're going to come against you. And those things, those problems are going to be stronger than you. What do you do when a problem comes your way and it's stronger than you? That's a good question. There's things that are going to come your way. There's things that are going to come my way. There's going to be no earthly cure for it. Everybody say, no earthly cure. cure. What do you do when there's no earthly cure? Do Do you just get under the bed and hide? What do you do when there's no earthly cure? No psychological cure. No physical cure. No medicine. There's no professional who can counsel you. What do you do when there's no cure? What do you do when the enemy is too strong for you? See, this is what we should title the message today. Now what? I just hit the brick wall. Just got the terminal disease. Just found out my spouse has been living in adultery. Right? Just found out my kids have been abused. Just woke up and realized I'm the abuser, whatever it is. How many know that's a, that's a point right there where there's really no earthly cure for you? I mean, how do you bring back a, a, a loved one who's passed away, who died way before their time? What do you do at times like this? What do you do when your heart is overwhelmed and the enemy is too strong for you? What do you do? Well, you go on Facebook and 
and pour out your soul to all these people who you don't even know you and You know, Google does not have all the answers either. I know, I'll just type in Google and I'll get my answer. No, if you type in Google, you know, you know such and such happened, Google's going to go, sorry, <laughs> there's, no, there's no help. Google deals with natural stuff. You're going to need supernatural help at times in your life. So what do you do when that day comes? What do you do? Well, you do what others did. If you want the miracles that others got, you're going to have to do what those people did. You have to watch out about who you run to for help. Because some people will not give you the help of God. They will comfort you while you're going down. And you will go down. Alright, so look in Psalm 18. David was going through some terrible stuff here. Look at verse 4. David said, the pangs of death surrounded me. Well, that right there is enough to make you cry. <laughs> And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of hell surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. There's what you do right there. And I cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him even to his ears. So what, what, what did we just learn? When your enemy, when death is surrounding you, when hopeless situations are confronting you, everything about you is going down, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. You say, well, I've never done that before. Start. Get used to it. Well, I don't want anybody to see me cry. Then you'll die. If it's serious enough, you'll, well, I just can't let anybody see me cry and, and I can't let anybody see me going, oh, well, I can't let, I can't let anybody see me cry out to the Lord. I can't do it. Well, Sometimes you just got to cry out to the Lord no matter what people think. Well, I can't pray. I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I can't let my wife see. I'm, I'm, I, I can't pray. I, I can't pray. I'm, I'm a man. I'm a man. Men pray. Jesus did. Man, man of all men. Right? He prayed. Well, I'd just be embarrassed to pray. Then if you don't change and it's life-threatening, bye. Pride is a terrible thing. Yes, it, is. it actually keeps people from heaven. And the Bible says the devil is the king of all pride. You have to come to the realization that you're going to need supernatural help sometime in life. And if you don't know how to pray, you're, not, you're too embarrassed to cry out to the Lord, you will probably be in bad shape. You won't get out of the problems you're in. So look here, same Psalm, verse 16. David said, God sent from above. This is after David cried to the Lord. He said, and God sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. Wow, what do you do when something's coming against you and it's too strong for you? It says, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Well, he delights in all his kids. He may not delight in your ways, but he delights in you. And what he did for David, he will do for you. Now, come on, guys, the world telling you there's no hope, 
is not Jesus telling you there's no hope. Somebody says, well, I don't know of any, I don't know of anybody that got through what you're going through. Well, that's just because you don't know everything. <laughs> I mean, come on, you're going to say you know everything? I just, I don't know anybody that got a, got a healing after, after a disease like you got. Well, that shouldn't bother you because people don't know everything. They've only been around for a few clicks. God's been around forever. I say we put stake in what he said. So is there going to be times the enemy is too strong for you? Do you know what I mean by that? Terminal doctor's report or life altering disease comes your way. All right. The world says no cure. Sorry. That's who you are from now to you're gone. Right. That, that's called a crisis. Right. A child born with a birth defect. That's called a crisis. What do you do at a time like that? What do you do? Well, hopefully you've been trained, taught in the word of God, the scriptures, enough to know what to do. Because it's not good enough to get ready when the evil day comes. You need to get ready when the skies are blue. So when, not if, when the evil day comes, you're ready. You know how to believe. You know how to talk. You know how to rebuke the devil and his lies and his fears. You know how to get a miracle. You know how to get a healing. But you've got to be serious about this. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Psalms that says, the name of the Lord Jesus is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. I looked up the word run because it's so important. The word run is talking about uh, rushing, hurrying, speedily, making a beeline to the Lord's name. We know a gentleman who, we, we know him quite well. Years ago, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, you know, his mouth was going to the side, his tongue was in the side of his mouth and had a brain tumor. And he got a letter from his sister that said, called his name and said, so-and-so, I got a scripture for you today as I was praying for you. He said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they are safe. In other words, you run to the Bible, you run to Jesus in prayer. He, and she said, you need to run. Call his name. You need to run, so-and-so. You need to run. You need to run! This is life-threatening. Run! Run! And he ran. I mean, he stopped everything. He cut off TV. He got in the Word, started seeking God, praying, going to church, listening to the sermons, and was healed of a brain tumor supernaturally. Because he ran, he didn't play around with it. Well, I, if I have time, I'll read my Bible. But, you know, I've got this terrible tumor in my brain. And Yeah, thank you, little Christians, for your little word there. Thank you. Uh, I'll go to church when I feel like it. But I've got really big problems here, okay? So I'm just going to just worry and worry and worry. And, probably, and you'll die. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous... Just kind of slowly go that direction, you know, looking at all these other options. That's, that's how you die in some situations, if it's terminal. What does the word run mean to you? Probably means stop, drop whatever you got in your hands and run. Where? To the word, to the Lord. Why? Because you'll die if you don't. Now, again, why, why do 89% of the people choose to not do what would save their life and die. Why? Well, one reason is the flesh has got a real strong pull. The flesh is really, your, your flesh needs control. You know, your bodily desires, your emotions. Your flesh needs control. Don't ever let those, those feelings be your boss. You will, you will go down wrong roads. It's terrible. So turn to Titus chapter 1. 
I felt like I needed to inject this here because I want to make it clear that we're not talking about getting delivered and getting healed and getting set free because we're afraid to die. We have a hope that goes beyond this world. Well, why are you talking about it then, Pastor? Well, because we need to stay around as long as we need to stay around to get the job done that only we can do. In Titus chapter 1, I thought this was really interesting. Look at verse 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. The reason I wanted to bring this out here is because no matter how bad it gets in this life, we're going to heaven when we die. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to heaven when you die. So no matter how bad it gets in this life, we're going to heaven. You following me, church? See, we need to understand this because yes, we want to be healed. Yes, we want to be delivered. Yes, you want to go on. Yes, you want to be restored. But even if everything just got crazier and crazier, you still have hope of eternal life. If you're a believer in Jesus. We're not afraid to die if we're believers. I I refuse to be pushed out of here by disease, but I'm not afraid to die. Why can't we just get tired, give up the ghost and leave when we're done? Why do we need an accident to take us out? Are you following me? There is such a thing called giving up the ghost when you're ready to go. You just know you're done. You breathe your last. You're in the presence of Jesus. You finished your course. You've kept the faith. And you're done. Now, I think it's interesting to me, just a little side thought here. A lot of Christians who are done with their race on earth, they will choose to be martyred for the Lord. Martyrdom is a choice that every believer has. You can take it or not take it. But, I mean, I I look in the New Testament, I see a lot of the the apostles were martyred. I believe they were just wanting that better resurrection. They said, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. And they did. Somebody just said, I just heard your mind. Somebody just said in their mind, uh, that's too heavy for me. Well, you don't have to be a martyr if you don't want to be. (laughs) Amen. You can just go, and you're in the glory world. So, I want to show you another situation where the enemy was too strong and how this group of people got out of the problems they were in by what they did. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Has anybody ever had the thought or said the words, what am I going to do now? I mean, I just got slapped with a lawsuit that what am I going to do now? How am I going to get out of this? Maybe it's a situation, I just got busted for a criminal act. What am I going to do now? This may sound crazy, but there is hope. I said there is hope. What do you mean, Pastor? What if somebody just committed a criminal act? What do you mean there's hope? Well, in the natural, it looks very, very bleak. But God's an expert at setting captives free. Huh? What, what do you do? I mean, what, what, what do you do if you just found out, you know, I mean, let, let's, let's just say you're a spouse and you just found out that your spouse has just been, you know, living in adultery. What do you do? It's all over. What do I do? What now? What now? What now? What now? Well, you can follow your feelings. You can follow your flesh. You can follow your friends at the bar. 
who are counseling you to do this and that. Can, can, I, just, can I just say something to a born-again Christian? You have no business being in a nightclub or a bar drinking alcohol. Do you, do, you, do you want to know what that leads to? I can tell you as a pastor what that leads to. And what it does to the children after the problems manifest. It's terrible. How many of you also going to come back next Sunday? Still going to come back? You should, because listen, we're just trying to love you and help you. I've been doing pastoring for 34 years now. We've seen a lot of people destroyed because of such things. It's terrible. It's awful. I mean, and what it does to the kids is even worse. It's terrible. They're innocent. Do you know you can divorce a spouse, but you can never divorce your child? And that child could be pulled to and fro. So, now, if you have gone through any of that, what do you do now? What now, Pastor? I've messed up in every area you've spoken of today. What now? What now? There's hope. Job 14.7 Though a tree be cut down, there's still hope that it will sprout again. If there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. Would you say that? If there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. What do you mean? You're going to sprout again. You're going to sprout again. As long as there's water coming under the roots, you're going to sprout again. Huh? As long as you're going to church and reading your Bible, you're going to sprout again. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 9.4. It says this. As long as you're linked with the living, there's hope. In other words, as long as you're alive, there's hope. Because you're a child of God. You can believe God for miracles. You can change your thinking. You can adapt. You can repent. You can come up supernaturally. Anybody interested in restoration and miracles and healings and fulfilling your purpose, your divine heavenly vision? Anybody interested in this? And you're in the right place. There is hope. If there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. Let me tell you, let me tell you something that um, the Apostle Paul said. He said he was going through some tough stuff. I mean, he said, I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. I was in death often. I was beat with rods. I was, in, I was, I was betrayed by my own countrymen and false brethren. All this stuff's coming at him from every angle. He said, I know all this stuff I'm going through is going to turn to salvation through your prayer for me. But it's all going to be according to my expectation and hope. See, just because other people are praying for you doesn't mean those prayers are going to work for you. You've got to expect things to change if you want it to work for you. Paul said, ah, I know this will turn to my salvation through your prayer, but it's all according to my expectation and hope that it is going to get better. I can't just, like, like what Brother Keith said, I, I can't make my, work, my, make my faith work for you or my prayers work for you. I can make my faith work with you, but I can't just make my prayers work for you. So, in Second oh, Chronicles 20, look at Second Chronicles 20, and we will read verse 1 through 6, and then we're going to bounce down to two more verses. So this is a bad day in Jehoshaphat's life. All Israel is in big trouble. It happened after this that the people of Moab, I guess they lived around here. <laughs> Just kidding. It happened that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Amorites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So we're talking about a life and death situation. 
Then someone came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they that are of blah, 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 which is in Gedai. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah that came out to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms and the nations and so forth and so on? Let's bounce down now. Go to verse, well, let's see, verse, I want to, let's look at, just go to verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do not rule over all the kingdoms and nations? In your hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand you? And then he keeps praying. Now go to verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Ever been where you don't know what to do? Huh? Doctor's report? Spouse revealing something to you that you wish you'd never heard? Um, Something slapping you upside the face. You ever been in a place where like, Lord, all these problems are coming against me and I don't know what to do. But what did he do? But our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. If you read the rest of the story, which we don't, you can have fun reading it later today. Jehoshaphat and all Israel won a great victory over all these enemies and not one person died in the camp of God's people. Not one person died. Actually, the enemy turned on themselves and killed each other because the Lord had sent ambushments, spiritually speaking, and all the enemy just died. And Judah just praised the Lord and took all the spoils. Three, took them three days getting all the gold and silver and everything. What happened? They looked to the Lord. They looked. There's something about using your neck muscles and your eye muscles and looking to the Lord by looking at, there's something about that act that gives God a right to save you. We, our job is look, his job is save and deliver. And your brain and the devil and a lot of people around you are going to go, you have big problems. You ain't got no time for no little church service. You ain't got no time for no little Bible. You ain't got no time for no little prayer. You got big problems. They said fourth stage cancer. They said it's about over. You have big problems. What's reading your Bible going to do for you? What the world can't do for you. What chemo can't do for you. What psychiatrists can't do for you. Man shall not live by bread alone. You're not going to make it by natural remedies only. You're going to have to need the supernatural help of God. Every word from God's mouth is powerful. And you're not going to make it just because you adjust your diet. Do those things if you need to. But sometimes adjusting diet doesn't even work. Sometimes doing everything you know to do in the natural doesn't even work. But you know what? Faith in God always works. Looking to the Lord always works. Right? 
Rebuking the devil always works. Yes. You got to believe it, though. You don't just do it and then kind of see what's going to happen. Expect something good to happen. Everybody say expect. Expect, expect something really good to happen. Yes. Why? Because that's how you're going to get a miracle. Miracles don't come to people that wait. Miracles come to people that reach out for them. Believe. You know, I say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. Well, was it worse than these things? <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you had an evil army coming against your household? And they had 10,000 more people than in your household. Yeah, but I got my pistol and I got my gun. And they have bazookas. Okay? <laughs> Laser-guided missiles. What are you going to do? What are you going to do at a time like that? There is no way in the natural you're going to make it through. No way. So what are you going to do? Well, it's your choice. But today you're finding you cry out to the Lord. Right? You, 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 you can't be looking at the problem and looking at the Lord at the same time. Right. Is where you look important when crisis comes? Well, what happened in the... What happened in the desert when the children of Israel were being bitten by snakes and they were dying by the thousands every day? Read it in the book of Numbers. Snakes were biting. They were dying instantly. And God told Moses, Moses, get a pole. Put a snake around it. A brazen snake. Make a pole with a snake around it. You ever see that symbol on the ambulances? It came from the Bible. And God said... Everyone who looks at that pole when they're bitten will live and not die. And it happened exactly like the Lord said. So Moses made the pole, wrapped the brazen serpent around it, lifted it up. And when Israel looked and they saw the pole, they got bit, but they didn't die. How many think it's important where you're looking, especially in times of crisis? The snake actually was a symbol of Jesus on the cross becoming a curse for us and taking all of our pains and all of our sicknesses and all of our sins and all of our suffering. He died like a criminal, but he was not a criminal. So we wouldn't have to die as criminals. And it was a, ty- it was a type of Christ becoming a curse for us. And it said when they looked, it, this is exactly what it said, everyone that looked lived. How many know it's important where you look when crisis hits? So Peter's walking on the water to go to Jesus, right? He gets out of the boat and Jesus says, that's you. Tell me to come to you. And the Lord said, come. So he gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. Hmm, this is nice. This is nice. He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus walking on the water. And all of a sudden this big wind comes up and a big wave over here. And he goes like this and he starts to sink. As soon as he got his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord saved him. And the Lord said, why would you doubt? He doubted because he got his eyes off the Lord. The devil is going to try to get you fixated on your problem, on the terminal report, on the issues at hand. He's going to try to get you fixated on how there's no hope. You're not going to make it. Everything's going to go down. They're not going to ever love you again. You're never going to have a normal child. All these are going to try to get you fixated on it to get you to accept that as highest reality. And if he can, if he can get that to be your highest reality to where it's more real to you than a miracle, you might as well put on your seatbelt and accept it as the way it's going to be. Unless the Lord in his sovereign mercy does something through somebody else in a ministry. But friend, you can get some victory on your own. It's so important where you look. What are you looking at? Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you looking at? 
What are you looking at? Can you go one more scripture, please? Turn with me in Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. We'll close with this scripture. Isaiah chapter 38. And as you're turning to Isaiah 38, I'm going to remind you of a scripture here in Hosea. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. Are you ready? Now, Israel had been messing up bad. They were about ready to be destroyed. The enemy had access. And they were like this close to judgment where God had to say, if that's what you want, it's all yours. And all hell would have broke loose in their lives. Hosea 13.9, you ready? Somebody needs to hear this. Hosea 13.9, you ready? I'm quoting the Bible. Hosea 13.9, God said, O Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. I'm sure we could put a lot of people's names there, including mine. Oh, so-and-so, you have destroyed yourself, but, I'm glad there's not a period there, but in me, God said, is your help. Anybody know what it's like to destroy yourself? Do things you know you shouldn't have done? We have a friend who is, lives in Tulsa. Um, I don't think he'd mind me mentioning his name. His name is Randall Greer. And he destroyed himself. He was actually on his third escape from prison. I think it was in Alabama, in the Georgia area, I guess, in that area. He was on his third escape from prison. Five felonies. And he's driving down the road with some girls in the car. They're drinking and partying and just flying down the road. And he said, all of a sudden, I was driving down the road and I heard these words. My spirit will not always strive with man. That was God talking to him, quoting a scripture out of Genesis. My spirit will not always strive with man. He said, Randall, if you keep going down the road you're going on, the devil set some traps for you. Demons have set some traps for you and you're going to die and you're going to go to a devil's hell. He said the presence of God was so strong in his car that he wet his pants. The girls sensed a presence in the car. They, they couldn't even understand it. So when he stopped, they just left. They ran out of his car. And the Spirit of God told Randall, the Lord told Randall, he said, Randall, you need to go turn yourself in and plead guilty to all five felony charges and I'll talk to you later about your life. Well, he, he had an encounter with God. His mama or grandma must have been praying for him or something so God could do that. And so he went and turned himself in. They threw him in prison for life. But a couple years later, I can't remember. We had him at our church to preach years ago. I think he said a couple years later, if even that, he, he came up for parole and they let him go. Well, he had turned to Jesus in the, in the prison. He was on fire for God, having Bible studies, getting the guards saved. I mean, just setting people free from demon influence. All kinds of crazy things happen in prison. Demon, demon possession is probably not that rare in some prisons. And people just getting set free. Demons coming out of people. People getting delivered. And he's having Bible studies. His life has totally changed. Today, he has a full-time ministry. His wife's with him in the ministry. His son's with him in the ministry. They have their own airplane. They fly all over the place. Been doing it for decades after he got out of prison. 
What am I saying in all that? Oh, Randall, you have destroyed yourself. But if you'll turn to me, God said, in me is your help. God likes freaking people out. (laughs) You know what I mean? God likes freaking people out who say there's no hope. He goes, oh yeah, there's all kinds of hope. There's no way out of that. There's totally a way out of that. You'll never be restored. Oh, you'll be greatly restored. You can never do that again. You'll do more than that again. Do you know the Apostle Peter, walking with the Lord for three and a half years, did some amazing things with Jesus and was used with healings and casting out demons and being a blessing? Did you know after three and a half years, Peter denied the Lord three times and said, I don't know the man, cursed and swore that he didn't know him? What's that called? That's called the biggest mistake you could ever make, deny the Lord. And you know, you get to heaven if you committed adultery. You can get to heaven if you committed murder. But you deny the Lord, there's no hope for you. No wonder Jesus said, um, after he rose from the dead, oh, go tell my disciples and Peter. Hey, if you don't want to claim that he's my disciple, I won't claim you as my disciple either. But he got restored. He got restored. He came back to Jesus. He got delivered. People, you can be restored. Listen closely. Then why do you want to be restored? Why do you want to be restored to that church you left? Why do you want to be restored to that person? Why do you want, why do you want to be restored? Why? Because God's way is so much greater than this little offense, little yes. anger, whatever road that the devil wants you to travel down. Oh, there are divine things waiting for people who will just say, I was wrong. I want to be restored. I want to go forward again. There's divine things waiting. I say, let's decrease that 89% of people who refuse to change and die. Let's be the part of the, what is it, uh, 11% that do change and say, I'm going to change. I don't care if I look like a fool for saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I blew it. Can we all just practice real quick? Could you all just say this with me? I'm sorry. Say it again. I'm sorry. Now, you may not need to be sorry for something. Right. You may not need to apologize for something right now, but there's coming a time you're going to need to. So just to get a little more practice, say this. I'm very sorry. I missed it. Is that everybody? <laughs> Can we all just say this? Say this. I'm sorry. What do you do? We're practicing for a future scenario. You just might need to say this sometime. Say this. I'm sorry. I apologize. I messed up. I missed it. I apologize for hurting you. I apologize for having ill will towards you. I'm sorry. Now, I'm not saying you have to say that every hour on the hour. Don't go digging up stuff that Jesus already forgave you for. But if you did something wrong, be humble. Admit it. You get no mercy if you're not being truthful. Mercy and truth meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. If, you're, if you want mercy, you've got to be truthful. Be real, be free. Is that a good word? Yes. Guys, yes, the devil's going to be right there telling you if, you, if you're truthful with your spouse about watching porn, or if you're truthful with your spouse about flirting with somebody on the job, if you're truthful with your spouse, the devil's going to be right there saying, if you're truthful about this, it's over. We know it takes courage to be truthful. You want to be strong? Be truthful. Be honest. 
That doesn't mean you have to be honest with the entire world. Of course not. Confess your faults one to another. That's both in the singular, for sure, to God. Anybody want mercy? Yes. You're going to have to be truthful. Yes. Right? You're going to have, but you say, well, pastor, it's hard. It takes courage. It takes big time courage. But you've got to believe for the mercy of God to come on the scene. You've got to believe for the power of God. Plus, let's just say, let's just say everything that blow up like a bomb. At least you're right with God. At least your future's bright. At least the door's open for miracles. At least you can believe God for things that you're going to need in your future. At least, but you know what I found out? If you're merciful, the power of God can come on the scene and fix everything. And so here Peter makes the biggest mistake of his life. Denies the Lord three times, right? Right? Well, if you keep reading in the Bible, Peter did greater things for the Lord after he committed the greatest mistakes of his life than even before he committed the greatest mistakes of his life because God is a restorer. Oh, so-and-so, you have destroyed yourself, but it ain't over yet. In me is your help. So real quick, I got two minutes. Read Isaiah 38, verse 1. It says, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, Hezekiah. You're going to die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. What do you mean? He turned off the video games. He turned off the TV. He turned off his cell phone. He turned off everything. He took a day off from work. This was serious. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, remember now I pray you how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I think he wept bitterly is because he's thinking, uh, <laughs> please don't remember my sins. Just remember the good things that I've done. Please, Lord, just remember the good things that I've done. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. And then he said, when you're healed, go to church. Do something good with your healing. Well, you can turn your face to the wall. I can turn my face to the wall. What does that mean? That means you're, you're not looking at anything but God. You're not looking out the window. You're, you're not looking at the TV. You're not checking your phone. There's times you better put up your phone. You better turn off the TV. You better turn your face to the wall. Because if you don't, things can take a natural course. How many want the supernatural course that God has for your life? Healing, deliverance, and miracles. Well, let's stand up if you can. Let's stand up and thank the Lord for this. And do one more thing before we go. Father, we thank you for the privilege to hear your word, to do your word, to receive help from your word. Oh, Father, we thank you. And Lord, we know that we have a purpose. We have a plan. We have a, you have a vision for our life. And we need deliverance to fulfill that plan. We need to get free so we can do what you've called us to do. Other people need us. And we need to not leave early because we've got a plan that only we can fulfill. You have a plan for our lives. And so, Father God, we thank you for showing us the way out and the way up. And we determine in our hearts today, we'll take that way because life is worth living. You have a plan for my life, our lives. And that plan only I can fulfill. 
Open my eyes, Lord. Open our eyes. Show us why we must go on. Show us, Father, the great, bright future ahead of us. Show us how we can help people here and now that we can't help when we're gone. Show us, quicken us, open our eyes, Father, to see and to realize that we can bring people to church now. We can get people saved now. We can bring people to you today that we will not be able to do when we're gone. <clears throat> open our eyes. Help us to see our neighbors in a new light, our co-workers in a new light. Help us to see our purpose, Father. Help us to see what you've called us to do. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a minute. If you're not born again, you can be right now. The Bible says faith without action is dead. You've got to act some way, somehow, in order for our faith to be alive. And the Bible says whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. I want to give everybody an opportunity who's not sure if you're born again or not. You're not quite sure. You don't know if you're saved. You know, you may be relying on your goodness more than faith in Jesus. Well, friend, if you're not 100% sure, watching online or here in the room, if you're not 100% sure that you're born again and that when you die, you're going up and set it down, you need to pray this prayer. Life's too short. This is way too serious to just think, hope, and wonder. You need to know from this moment forward, if I died today, I'd go straight to Jesus, straight into his presence forevermore. You need to know, and you can know that after a simple prayer that we're going to pray right now. So with head bowed and eyes closed, Christians, just be in an attitude of love and an attitude of prayer for those around you that may not be saved. If you'd like this prayer to count for you, I'm going to pray it. You just, just repeat it after me. If you'd like this prayer to count for you, just raise your hand at this time, saying, Pastor, I want to be born again. Anybody at L? Raise your hand as an act of faith. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you want to be born. Now, if you've already prayed this prayer before, you don't need to pray it again. You may need to pray a rededication prayer, but if you've, if you've already prayed this prayer, you don't have to pray it again. You're saved. So one more time, looking around, if you'd like to be born again, raise your hand at this time and we'll pray this prayer. All right. The Lord saw that hand. I saw most of those hands. So I would like you to say this right now from your heart, because this is what's going to cause that miracle to happen. Say this, Jesus, I believe in you. Unashamedly, I confess you are the Lord of my life. God raised you from the dead. I believe it. I believe it. And, now according to your word, and now according to your word, I'm saved. I'm saved. What, the Bible calls born again. what the Bible calls born again. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the Donate tab. 